Everybody stand by and action. The home of alternative and independent rock and roll. Diffuser is the place where music fans come to talk. Join the conversation. This is Diffuser Radio. Diffuser Radio. My name is Chuck Armstrong. I am the editor-in-chief of Diffuser. And thank you so much for listening. This is our first ever podcast. We hope to do many, many more. Uh, But this is the first one. This is the inaugural podcast. So thank you so much for downloading it. Thank you for listening to it wherever you are. Uh, Just to kind of give you a rundown of what to expect in each episode, uh, I'm going to take you through some of the uh, biggest stories of the week, some of the top headlines, that sort of thing. You can find all of them and more at diffuser.fm. And then after that, we're going to sit around and have a roundtable with some of the columnists on Diffuser where we tackle one specific topic. This week, we're going to look at independent musicians and their business models compared to uh, what record labels can provide. After that, we'll always sit down with a musician uh, and, and chat with them. A guest interview. It's as simple as that. And in this episode, we're chatting with a guy from Minnesota who goes by the name of Actual Wolf. And after our uh, conversation, he actually is going to perform a song. So I'm very excited for that. And then to wrap up each podcast, we're going to give you mandatory music, which is our version of the top five tracks of the week. So where do we start? I think uh, I think the biggest news at the time of putting this podcast together, it has to be the announcement of Mumford & Sons' third full-length album. It's called Wilder Mind, and it's set to hit record stores in May. And even though Marcus Mumford says it's not a departure from their signature folk sound, all signs point to, well, a departure of sorts. Uh, what with them plugging in their electric guitars, they're bringing in a full drum kit, Only time will tell, and uh, we can't wait to hear what they have up their sleeves. No music has been shared yet, though, so we don't know what it's going to sound like. And speaking of new music, Blink-182's Tom DeLonge has announced plans for his debut solo album, To The Stars. It's going to be new songs, demos, b-sides, just sort of a mix of things that have been brewing inside of his head. And this shouldn't be a huge surprise, considering he was, you know, possibly, maybe, definitely, absolutely, potentially leaving Blink-182. Lollapalooza has unveiled the lineup for their first ever Berlin event. The Libertines are headlining alongside Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, and others on the bill include Bastille, Sam Smith, Tame Impala, and My Morning Jacket. You can check out the full, massive lineup at diffuser.fm. Generating a lot of debate, we ranked every single one of Pearl Jam's studio albums from worst to first, and I'll give you a little bit of a hint. Lightning Bolt, it's not number one. James Stafford, who you'll hear from in the upcoming Diffuser Roundtable, he examined how fans connect with their favorite artists and why it's actually very important how you interact with indie musicians for their future and livelihood. It's a good read. This might be old news by the time you hear it, but just in case you are living under a rock but somehow have access to podcasts, starting this summer, Friday will be the global release day for all new music. That means if Tool finally release their next album, it will come out on a Friday across the globe, so, you know, that really probably doesn't change much in your life, does it? And if you're still scratching your head over what net neutrality really is, we put together a nice little guide about what the FCC recently voted on and how it impacts musicians and the music industry. All of these stories and plenty more, you may or may not know, we publish more than 100 stories a week. They are waiting to be devoured at Diffuser.fm. You're listening to Diffuser, where we don't just cover the news, we are the news. This is the Diffuser Roundtable. 
My name is Chuck Armstrong, and I'm the editor-in-chief for Diffuser. Uh, Now, you've already heard me run through some headlines in the world of alternative and indie rock. And now it's time for our first-ever Diffuser Roundtable. Now, before we dive into the topic, I want to introduce everyone and make sure you can put a name to a voice. So first up, we've got Diffuser's senior editor, Tim Karen. Hey, guys. I am calling from uh, blustery Pittsburgh. (laughs) Right on. And uh, equally blustery, maybe not equally, uh, we've got Chris Kissel. Are you saying I'm blustery? (laughs) That's exactly what I'm saying. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Um, yes, I am calling in from Brooklyn, a mere several miles from you, Chuck. Right on. And uh, rounding out today's conversation is James Stafford. Hey, I'm James Stafford, and uh, I'm, I'm laughing at my freezing colleagues from sunny Sacramento, <laughs> California. Yeah. Yeah, we all hate you, James. <laughs> now, uh, you have likely read pieces, several pieces by these guys, Uh, So I am very excited to have us all in one room, so to speak, to chat. And uh, coming up, we're going to be speaking with uh, Actual Wolf. He's an independent musician. He's based in Minnesota, and he handles everything on his own. His management, his booking, his publicity. As an up-and-coming artist, it really all falls on his shoulders. Now, another artist who you might be more aware of, uh, who handles every single aspect of his art, goes by the name of Mount Erie. And recently, Chris Kissel... Uh, he had the chance to speak with him about his music, about his business model, and if you haven't read it, you can find it at diffuser.fm. Uh, but that's what we're going to be di- uh, diving into today. And so, Chris, I would love it if you could kind of give us a background on your piece with Mount Erie. Yeah, so Mount Erie, um, his real name is Phil Elverum, and I I sought him out to talk to him because he does a lot of the kind of thing that you were talking about with Actual Wolf. It may almost be identical, where he does almost every single thing on his own. So he records his music on his own, obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but he writes all of his music himself. He records it all. Musically, he plays almost all, he, he, you know, he creates almost all the music himself with a couple of exceptions. And then he makes his album art and he, he creates these, you know, these pieces of, uh, you know this product, and then he distributes all the physical physical copies himself with the help of a couple of friends. Um, he doesn't have a, a proper record label. He sort of runs his own record label, which is really just his really just releases his music. And then when he tours, he books all of his own shows. And he the thing about Phil is that he comes from this DIY this kind of first wave DIY tradition uh, that came out of this whole K record scene in Olympia, not to get too uh, into the details, but really you can consider those guys. I mean, that's where sub pop records comes from. That's where a lot of, you know, it all kind of leads to Nirvana and the indie explosion in the nineties and everything. He comes out of that milieu. So he approaches this from a really kind of punk rock angle where you do everything yourself and you play at these, you know, non-venue spaces. Uh, But from an outsider's perspective, from our perspective as people who sort of talk about the music industry a lot, what I thought was interesting was as we read all of these think pieces by musicians and industry people, et cetera, about how it's impossible to make money and, you know, your record label is uh, taking an unfair cut and 
uh, Spotify is taking an un- unfair cut and you know you feel like as a musician you're kind of at the bottom of the food chain. Well, here's a guy where he is almost the entire food chain. So he had a lot, he shared a lot in a really kind of inspiring way, a lot of details about that. And my thesis at the end was really, is this something that more artists could do? And I think it is. And how long has he been doing this? Essentially his entire career. He used to be a K records artist, which is, you know, they're a, uh, they're kind of a classic indie label, but they're uh, very pro artist, and you know they're not the kind of record label that's going to take, you know, eighty percent of your earnings or something like that. Um, but he's been doing everything alone for for several years. But essentially, I mean, you could say since the beginning of his career, right? And yeah, and so when it, what it boils down to is he's doing a good job of this. You know, he's touring across the country. Um, he's putting out new music. He just put out a new album, uh, but. Is this how a new artist, you know, if one of us wanted to, to jump in the music industry, uh, is this how you would do it? Yeah, you know, Chris, I, th- I think you, you nailed it with first wave DIY. I think that, you know, that first wave of DIY was, was really responding to the fact that there was, there was no way for uh, a new artist, especially, uh, and we were talking about the punk, uh, punk and post-punk days, when uh, there was no no real appetite at the major labels for that kind of music, so those those young artists having to to find some way to to circumvent the system, right? And that that's that's kind of where that that DIY ethos comes from. Mm-hmm. And then we see, you know, here in the last 15 years, we see this 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 uh, this new bubble. You know, now it's not the major labels, but rather, um, you know, the 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 new um, the new technologies that are impacting artists, the downstreaming or the, the, the downloads and streaming and, and yada, 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 the collapse of the, the major label industry that was keeping them out before has now been replaced by this new bubble that's keeping them out. So I don't think there's anything new here. Um, it's, it's maybe it's just time for that DIY bubble, so to speak, to replace the, the internet bubble. Maybe this really is the, the the only way that young independent artists are, are going to be able to make a, a go of it at this point, at least I, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, definitely. And I will, I'll just add, um, really the one kind of wrinkle in Phil's model is Spotify, basically streaming because the royalties are so bad that that's the one place where he doesn't really have control over the, his livelihood you know and that and i so as much as this diy model is really helping him stay afloat in a lot of ways it's not going to it's not going to help anyone with the kind of you know insufficient payment that they're getting from from streaming services essentially so i think that is like the one question mark in all of this is how is there a way for artists? Is there anything artists can do? Um, you know, what is where do we kind of go from there? Is there a DIY application? I mean, I, I, I thought maybe he could. There's a question of should he take his music off of Spotify? Should more artists take their music off of Spotify? Would that cause the kind of, you know, a kind of wave in the way that streaming services behave? Uh, but that's an open question. I mean, the thing about Spotify, though, is it's just in no way about money for anybody. I mean even I mean even on the Taylor Swift Swift level whenever she's making 
potentially, you know, millions of dollars from it. I mean, that's Taylor Swift. Nobody's making any money off of it. It exists solely just as more or less like a networking. It's like a LinkedIn for musicians. Like if you're not on Spotify, you're inaccessible. It's, it's, it's more or less just like not having a Facebook page now. And I don't even think you could be legally proven in a court of law that you exist without a <laughs> Facebook page. So like it's, yeah, you can't really go to Spotify and expect to be coming, you know, really cashing any checks from that. But what are you losing by not being on there? I mean, if people, you have to be on playlists. You have to be just easily just right next in line with all of the other things that people want to listen to. And if you're not there, where are they going to find you? You know, they got to go way out of their way. Right. And you mentioned Taylor Swift and, you know, that's kind of, she was kind of the, the topic of a discussion in 2014 with no platinum albums until 1989 came out. And then she ripped all her music off Spotify. Uh, but that's like you said, that's Taylor Swift. You know, that that's not Mount Erie. That's not uh, these up and coming artists or that's not these independent artists who have been busting their asses for for decades. Uh, it's it's a little different, I think. Uh, Taylor Swift can do that because she doesn't need marketing. She doesn't need a LinkedIn profile. People know who she is. They know what she's about. Uh, but Chris, I mean, Mount Erie, regardless, he is on Spotify, right? Right. Yeah, he is on Spotify, and he. I mean, he's ambivalent about it. He's not excited to be on Spotify. Right. And and where our conversation, one of the most interesting parts of our conversation, I thought was, he thinks, or he, you know, maybe he he doesn't think he has the answer. But one of the things that we talked about is, does it ultimately fall to the government to force streaming platforms like Spotify to pay out higher royalty rates? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> that's that's pretty deep. Did he have an answer to that? No, but I mean that's that's the only I mean in you know with all of the that's the only solution that he could kind of see through the, you know, through the forest. Hmm. Yeah, that just I just can't see the way that I see music now really is just it's most similar to YouTube as compared to I mean it used to be like network TV and stuff like that, but now it's just like you can just you know, 311 or, or why is 311 the first band that came in? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. oh, let's go with like, uh, somebody name a relevant band. <laughs> uh, let's say Green Day. Their stuff is right there, right next to some kid that just has, you know, who's just in his garage putting together his own stuff and it has no production value whatsoever and it's right there. So it's, it's hard to decide to place a value on one form of art over another. I mean, you could just give streams, yeah, per streams, Green Day would make more money than that guy. But, like, it's just so, I feel like money is just, it's got to be, like, it's, it's the only way a guy like Mount Erie is going to make money is by becoming basically his own corporation. Like, he's, 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 take, he's become his own label because a label sort of is necessary, but not for the reasons that we used to think they were necessary. It's mostly necessary now just as a, basically just a way for people to know i mean the way that tv networks used to be you know the, a show on fx is different from a show on cbs and you know that a, a band on saddle creek is different from a band on equal vision we we crave that categorization and also those bands get placed on tours with bands on those labels and things like that so i just think it's 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 about sort of just redefining what these things are but if you're trying to make money man i just mount erie is gonna be, i mean he's probably one of the most successful you know, people that have tried this model because everybody in the world has tried this model. Well, I think, go ahead, James. 
I think that the redefining is 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 the key word here in a lot of ways. Um, you know, if you take kind of the long historical view, um, what was defined as the product has has really changed over the years. If you go back to to really the beginning of the 20th century, the product was sheet music, and uh, publishers and A and R guys were were trying to place songs into to uh, Broadway shows and things like that, specifically to sell sell sheet music. So the song wasn't really the product. In terms of, of a marketable product, it was the sheet music that was a, a marketable product. And you know, we go we continue forward, you know, and, and records become the marketable product, um, and on and on and on. And I think right now, what we think of as the marketable product that frustrates us all is is the download or the stream, right? Why isn't anybody making money off that streaming song? That's the marketable product. But this, Tim, I think goes back to your, your point about redefinition. What, what, if, what if that's not the right marketable product? Maybe, if we're, maybe we're in a, in a, a world kind of where we were back in the days of sheet music, where the, the stream is the quote-unquote loss leader to sell the marketable product. And when you have a guy like Mount Erie, the chances, I would say the thing that's more marketable about him is... is when you're dealing with an independent artist, you're, 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 what's, what's really, the product is really the relationship between the artist and the, and the, uh, the audience, the, the accessibility and, and you're dealing with, with, um, a fan base that, that wants to maybe own a physical copy of something and be a participant in, 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 um, their favorite artist career, you know, that maybe via Kickstarter or something like that. But it's that definition of, of what is being sold, I think, has to maybe needs to change. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and Tim, what you mentioned, too, was that, you know, you have to become your own record label or your own corporation. And that's exactly what what he's doing. He's he I think uh, I think Chris in your piece, he says that he's spending more time on the distribution side, on the booking side, on the publicity side of things than he is actually making his music. Yeah, I mean, he. That's the thing. That's part of it too. Is if somebody wanted to do this, they would have to be good at all of the things that he's obviously good at, and not everyone is good at those things. You know, not everybody has the patience to stand in line at the post office for three hours because you have so much, you know, so many things you need to mail overseas or whatever. <laughs> you know, nobody, not everybody's good at making album covers. You know. Um, most people are not. Most people who are good at making music are probably not also good at making album covers. So this is also really kind of tailor-made for him because he's good at all of these things. So he's kind of a special person. But, I, you know, I think beyond that, I, I don't know. I think, Tim, part of your point is – well, I know part of your point is you just – Mount Neary doesn't necessarily have to worry as much as smaller – as some smaller artists do about getting his music in front of people because a lot of people have discovered him and Pitchfork's going to review every album that he puts out. But if I have, if I'm in a great band and I know people will find me via Spotify or I know that's the only way people will find my music, it would be a very big risk for me not to put my music on Spotify. But there's just part of me that wonders if a, if a great band took that risk, could they still uh, become known enough through their live shows and, you know, maybe the record label they're on or, you know, because they play their music on some big non-commercial radio station or something, could they become big enough that they could survive without it? 
Yeah, and you know, I think like the the major example, like the major label comparison, is if we, you know, if just let's stay on Taylor Swift, is that her album went platinum in what a couple of days? Um, would it have gone platinum had she not pulled her music off Spotify? Granted, you know, she still would have sold a bazillion records and and whatever. But you know, like on a completely different level, I think that comparison makes sense. And so, if you're Mount Erie or if you're actual wolf or if you're jeff the brotherhood and you decide you know what i'm going to yank all my music off spotify you might not you might i don't know you might have an impact in your record sales relative to you know to your stature relative to your uh to your presence uh in the in the music world um i don't know it's it's a it's an interesting conversation and i don't think it's one that the four of us are going to fix um but i had a I had a chat once with David Lowry of Cracker, who, uh, if you've ever read anything from him online, he's a huge critic of the music industry. And he said that he's, he says, forget about Taylor Swift, forget about the big artists. It really starts with the independent mm-hmm. artists. It starts with the, the, the smaller acts. And if they, if, if you want to make a difference in Spotify and in streaming, you've got to refuse your music from that, uh, and, and not put it on that medium. I think that's that's in a way that's that's kind of where I'm where my head is is that uh, I, I would never anticipate that Taylor Swift is going to stand in the line at the post office to send me something. <laughs> I'm, I'm, she I'm, might, she might. Yeah. That might I'm, not be the best example. <laughs> I'm completely detached from Taylor Swift. She's she's this thing out there somewhere in the universe, and. and so I, I can't really be a participant in Taylor Swift, but I can be a participant in Mount Erie. And, th- and that's really cool. I can have some level of relationship and that's kind of what I buy. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And Tim, you know, you mentioned like you need a record label because you need to book shows. You need to sell records. You need to, uh, you know, put out press releases. And if Mount Erie, you know, if, if he's capable of doing all of that by himself, that's in- amazing. Uh, because yeah, anybody can download or everybody's got GarageBand, and you can put out an album. But what do you do with that, and how do you market it, and how do you sell it? Uh, Mount Erie's got that. That seems very uh, personal to him. Uh, but so what? What about artists like new artists who might not be able to uh, do all of that on their own? Who you know they they want to bust their asses, they want to work twenty four seven, but they just don't have that personality to reach out to pub to uh you know to websites or radio stations or whatever to get their music played uh you know like what's the solution for them i, I you know i think that's that's a problem that's perv- pervasive in all of the arts not just music it's if you want to be a writer you have to develop those skills i mean how many of you guys on the phone spend as much time uh drumming up work and promoting work and dealing with the billing of work and on and on and on as you do actually writing you know, it's the same for visual artists. It's the same for, for, for everybody. So, um, I think somebody who, who is unwilling to develop those skills to function as a business is going to have to accept that, um, that music is going to be a hobby for them as, as cruel as that sounds. No, I think that, uh, I, I think that makes sense. And, uh, and fortunately, you know, I think we're in an age where we have, a ton of amazing independent record labels, smaller record labels. You know, it's not the days of signing, you know, REM signing an $80 million major label <laughs> deal. Those might be over, but I also don't necessarily think artists are clamoring for that. Right. 
right? I mean, I think it's also a lot like the way that podcasts are now. Like podcasts, you just put one out and it's out there. However, uh, that hasn't stopped you know companies from springing up that are basically labels for podcasts, like Earwolf. Uh, has a you know a whole crop of podcasts and stuff, and that's just basically because they need to have that collection because I mean you need you need to work together. Yeah, <laughs> you know. No, yeah, that's that's definitely true, and you know, and people who have connections and that makes things easier too. But uh, I, I want to wrap things up, guys. But uh, I had mentioned Jeff the Brotherhood, and I don't know if you saw, but uh, you can find the story at Diffuser. Uh, but they were I don't know the specifics of this whether they left willingly or what happened, but they were dropped by Warner Brothers. So a major label, maybe the major label. Uh, they were dropped by Warner Brothers about a month ahead of the release of their next album. And they hopped on Facebook. They put on their website this open letter uh, with just a huge FU to Warner Brothers and how happy they are to be out of the clutches of, uh, I think they called it the, the vulture. Um, <laughs> and they ended things by saying the era of the major label is over. And I'm not saying that that is true or not. Um, and I'm not saying I have anything against major labels. Uh, we get a lot of good music from major label artists. Uh, but it's just interesting that there you have, uh, you know, I would, I would still classify Jeff the Brotherhood as up and coming. Uh, there you have an up and coming artist who had a major label deal who is celebrating the fact that they uh, th- they got out of it. And now they're with, uh, I think, Infinity Cat Recordings, an indie label. Uh, and they're going to put out their label. They're, they're going to put out their record, you know, a couple weeks later uh, than it was initially scheduled for. Uh, but they're really not missing any beat. And so I think there's a lot to learn from what Mount Erie is doing. I think there's a lot to learn from uh, some of these independent record labels. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, a, it's an interesting conversation that's being had uh, throughout the industry. Well, guys, I uh, I really appreciate the time, Chris. You know, is there are there any other takeaways from the uh, from the conversation you had? The only the only thing I would say is I completely agree with everything that that Tim and James were saying. And to me, I think it comes down to, you know, we may be we may live in a world where people who want to create things, people who want to make artists, have to realize that they have to do a lot more work themselves. And I think that that's that is a natural part of sort of where we are culturally now but i think that this streaming thing is going needs to come to a head at some point and i don't know if it's going to be through a law or through you know 10 more taylor swifts uh refusing to put their music on the service or something but i think you know you can point to all of these uh, mount erie type models where people are out there making it work because they've acquired all these other skills but if if people are going to continue to flock to streaming services and streaming services are going to continue to fail to pay artists living wages there's just there's going to be a reckoning there well thank Tortures you Chris. and pitchforks <laughs> that's right <laughs> Uh, well, if you if you have not read it yet, you can read Chris's uh, uh, interview with Mount Erie at Diffuser.fm. And also, uh, if you haven't noticed, we cover everything that's going on with uh, indie artists, indie labels, and Spotify and YouTube. Uh, there's been a couple very interesting stories around a musician who goes by the name of Zoe Keating, uh, who has just publicly taken on YouTube. Um, and so you can find a lot of fascinating conversations happening at diffuser.fm. My name is Chuck Armstrong. We had Tim, Chris, and James as part of the inaugural Diffuser Roundtable uh, for the inaugural podcast. I'll keep mm-hmm. saying the word inaugural. 
But uh, I appreciate uh, you guys. Thank you for calling in all across the country. And uh, I look forward to uh, our next conversation. Thank you. Definitely. See you later. Thank you. This is Diffuser. Hosted by Editor-in-Chief Chuck Armstrong. stand-up into my my solo shows now are you really um well it's just turning out that way because nobody in new york cares about anything <laughs> so you can literally say whatever you want over the mic and people will laugh people will laugh in new york city like the more offensive and cruel you are over the mic yeah that makes pe- sense. people will crack <laughs> up yeah so uh we're sitting here with actual wolf and uh, part of this inaugural podcast for diffuser is we are uh, chatting about uh, up-and-coming musicians, about the music industry, and and the previous segment that you just heard was about the Mount Erie uh, business model. And really what that, I mean, to to put it very uh, simply, is doing everything yourself. Distribution, management, publicity, everything. Uh, And so, Actual Wolf, I've had the pleasure of seeing you live and uh, getting to know you, and uh, I think that you kind of fit that model and now that you're in New York for a couple of weeks, I wanted to, to chat with you about this. And so, but before we get too much into what you're up to, you know, right now and, and how you've been managing yourself and doing everything, as an introduction to our listeners, can you kind of uh, just give us a background on how you got into music, how you started kind of, yeah, how you started playing music and, and how Actual Wolf grew into uh, what it is today? Well, gee whiz, um, we do not have enough time and I do not, I don't know if I have enough ego fuel to, um, sit and tell you how I've became, uh, actual wolf, but I will give you the short history, uh, the abbreviated history. I started playing music very young, uh, took piano lessons willingly for many years and learned how to play drums and hung out with guitar players in my bar bands that I was playing in. And they always had girls that hung out around them. So I decided that I needed to learn how to play guitar at a very young age. And I got into music, went to school, met a bunch of cool dudes at Eau Claire. Um, It was a really good time to be there. Uh, The guys from Megaphone were there and Justin Justin Vernon was there and Super, a bunch of talented jazz musicians like James Buckley and and uh, Jason Kraft and a bunch of guys who've really made up uh, the Twin Cities music scene at this point. And um, wow, this is getting long-winded. But, uh, <laughs> no, that's all right, man. I moved up to Duluth, Minnesota and met a guy named Al Sparhawk. Um, and we hit it off and we started playing music and touring uh, in 2004. And then in 2010, I found myself in some legal issues and um, couldn't leave the state of Minnesota for a few years. And I needed to make money uh, as per my obligation of uh, conditional release. And uh, so I needed to play music all the time and I needed a project. And so I started writing songs out of desperation and I needed them to happen and pop. And I guess, you know, when I was backed into the corner, I just did the only thing that I could do, which was get sober, spend a lot of money on a lawyer, 
and um, write tunes and play as much as I can. You know, uh, sometimes in Minnesota, I'd play 28 shows a month. Wow. Uh, just to make sure that I was keeping everybody happy. And that is the short story <laughs> of how Actual Wolf became Actual Wolf. I know it's a loaded question. Um, but uh, so when you started playing in 2004, what uh, what kind of music were you playing? Uh, I was playing all sorts of music. Uh, Minnesota has a real, we're very isolated up yeah. in Minnesota. Yeah. And we have a very vibrant music scene because of this. Um, lately, more national acts and uh have come out of minnesota so it's become more high profile but in the late 90s and aughts there really wasn't a ton of national exposure with minnesota so it just kind of developed on its own and so i played all types of music from country to rock and roll to bluegrass to folk music i mean whatever singer songwriter music if you needed it um I, I played it. I'm a check-in-hand musician, for sure. And are you still that way? Still that way. Yeah. Uh, whatever. I'll, uh, famous quote from a, a friend of mine, a colleague of mine um, up at UMD, uh, University of Minnesota Duluth, named Billy Bernard. I'll, I will play Cat's Bar Mitzvah in a sombrero <laughs> if the money is right. All right. Yep. Yeah. Good for you, man. That's what you need to do to survive, man. In music, nobody makes money in music, right? That's right. So you need to you need to do whatever you can. You need to hustle. <laughs> and so you, uh, not that we have to get too deep into it, but you found yourself in legal trouble, which I would say is very rock and roll. Yeah, I would. It's very rock and roll. It's <laughs> it's. I I would like to think I would like to think that it's fairly authentic. Um, I'll just touch on it a little bit. I got raided. Um, by local law enforcement and federal law enforcement for growing marijuana and uh almost went to jail okay and uh, i would do it <laughs> yeah um so there you go uh that's yeah i would i would like to think that i my story is fairly authentic and it's tough to find authentic stories in the music business these days and i guess it it always has been because if you think about it Bob Dylan, who is from uh, where I'm from, uh, the Iron Range of Minnesota, uh, he completely made up his life and then finally came out with it and was like, hey, I'm from northern Minnesota, everybody, leave me alone. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he was notorious for always making up stories about his Native American heritage and things like that when he moved to New York. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just completely made it all up, and, yeah. and a lot of a lot of folks have made it all up, except Neil Young. <laughs> Is that right? I I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to think that. I, I would like to. Think I'd buy that, that. Too. <laughs> since he's from further north. That's right. Well, and I I mean Minnesota's got such a vibrant music scene. You mentioned it. You know, currently or in the '90s, but back into the '70s and, and '80s. I mean. You mentioned Dylan, and he, everybody can point to Prince, but you look at the replacements and Husker Du and Soul Asylum, uh, just the list is, it's kind of uh, mind-boggling how much music came out of the Twin Cities or, or out of that area. Well, yeah, then you even think of the folk tradition. Um, you have Spider John and, and, and you know, Kerner Ray and Glover, and, uh, which is Spider John, by the way. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, 
and and you even have the Andrews sisters back in the uh, back in the thirties. Andrews oh. sisters are from Minnesota. Um, so Minnesota's always had a, and if you just, you know, we got Lawrence Welk just a little, little ways over there in North Dakota, but the Iron Range also has some serious polka, serious, <laughs> most important polka music, which is, is great. Um, and even Southern Minnesota now these days is with the, uh, with the Mexican population moving up into Southern Minnesota, there's starting to be some really good Mexican wow. music. So, I mean, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, when you went through your legal trouble, that you were pushed to the corner, isolation. Uh, did that really fuel actual Wolf as you grew out of that you know, yeah. bad situation? Yes, yes. Um, I I don't like to think of it as a bad situation. I mean, I, I learned a lot from it. I got sober and um, not AA sober, but felony probation sober. It's way different. <laughs> um I got sober and 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 uh, just kind of settled in and got reconnected with my family quite a bit because I had to move in with my parents as condition of probation, which is really it's amazing if you really want to feel if you really want your uh, ego to just get thrown into a blender and <laughs> and splattered all over a wall. Take a take your thirty year old self and um, be forced to move back in with your parents into your childhood room for three years. Um, yeah. that'll, that would, uh, that would, that'll humble. make you feel real big. That'll make <laughs> you feel real tough and it'll it's make a little you, less rock and roll. Yeah. It'll make <laughs> you want to do things. It'll make you want to do a lot of things. It'll make you do want to do whatever it takes to, to, to be successful and get out of that situation as fast as possible. Did you, during that, you know, those, those years of, of dealing with that, were you ever worried that music wasn't the way to, to get out of that situation? Well, I've, I'm always worried that music isn't a way to get out of that situation. Um, music is not the most viable business. And right now, unless you do things by yourself and with like-minded folks in the, uh, in the blog and podcast and radio, uh, really like AAA radio, community radio level, your uh, independent papers, you know, unless you're doing, unless you're making all those like little, little tiny connections these days in music, it's really hard to get yourself out and promote yourself without having a ton of money. Well, and you as an independent musician, you're doing all of that yourself i have to everything you just mentioned i have to and I'm, and now i'm selling sunglasses as well yeah wow my signature sunglasses <laughs> right. are available uh, you can get them and you get a free download uh, when you buy them from me at a show yes this is what it takes to make it in the music business i'm told i think neil young sold sunglasses i think neil young i think neil young told he told he at least sold the aesthetic of sunglasses yeah, that's true so yeah. I mean, everything you mentioned, you know, the radio, the blogs, the podcasts, selling sunglasses, uh, you've always done that yourself? I, I had to. Yeah. I had to. Nobody would. Uh, I'm not, you know, I started the project from square one, so with no money, because I'd spent all my money on my lawyer, who was great, by the way. <laughs> um and uh, if you're ever in Minnesota and you get in some trouble, just hit me up on Facebook. I'll get you his number. He's not cheap. 
but yeah, I'd spent all my money on legal stuff and court fees and stuff. So I, I'd started everything literally with zero dollars in the bank yeah. and borrowing my dad's computer. So my girlfriend had to help me set up a Facebook account. <laughs> that's how that's how rock bottom I started at. Yeah. I didn't know what Twitter was. I didn't know what I knew what Facebook was, but I had no idea. Like my girlfriend literally had to remotely come on to the computer and help me set up a Facebook. So yeah, it's it's what you got to do, man. You got to hustle. I think there's a bunch of rappers that talk about that sort of thing, like yeah, Jay Z and, yeah. and Drake doesn't talk about it, but Jay Z definitely used to talk about it. And uh, Wiz Khalifa talks about it. Who I actually I'd like to give Wiz Khalifa a shout out. Um, he I learned a lot about Twitter from from following Wiz Khalifa. Why? What did he? He's do? really good at Twitter. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Um, and he he doesn't. Uh, it's he makes it all about he makes his clickbait all about him. Yeah. You well, know, because Twitter's just a clickbait stream essentially. Sure. So trying to grab your attention. Yeah, it's a clickbait stream. So if you make it more personal and you make it in real time and about you, um. <laughs> And you keep it real narrow. Like Wiz Khalifa likes weed. He likes uh, feeling hippie, as he calls it, uh, or he used to. I don't know what he's calling himself now. But and and he likes hanging out with his buddies. And so he just makes all of his. Oh, and he loves his son. He loves his son too. But he makes him. He, he makes. Uh, he makes his whole Twitter stream just about that. And he gets back at people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, that's a big part that's of it. That's a big part of it. It's yeah. authentic. So I learned, when I first started Twitter, I learned, shout out to Wiz Khalifa. I learned a nice. lot from Twitter. From Neil Young to Wiz Khalifa. You know, you gotta, <laughs> everybody's trying to make it, dude. Doesn't yeah. matter whose hustle it is. Like, Neil Young's going and cutting. Neil Young's trying to make Pono, dude. He's right, trying yeah. to make that happen. Yeah, he's not. Like, that's like, basically, I mean, come on, dude. Really? <laughs> like, so everybody's trying to get a hustle. Everybody realizes that. The game is short, and if you listen to hip-hop, all they talk about, all they've been talking about since the 80s is how short the game is <laughs> and how you got to hustle. Have you ever wished that you could, could rap? Yes. Could rap, I wish obviously. I could rap. That's obviously I the can write. Question. I can write crazy good lyrics, can't rap, can't rap at all. I can even play drums and program beats. <laughs> Have you do you, not want to hear me rap. Okay, anyway, back have you, to the... Have you ever wished that you had the means to have a manager? Like, do you see uh, a benefit to that? I would love to have a manager, but I, I work... I've had the pleasure of working with um, a very talented human being and close personal friend of mine named Mark Koslick. Um, and he has gone really with just an agent and a publicist and himself... Uh, for many, many years and has built such a successful music career out of just giving people content and meaningful content. Uh, I I don't know, you know, I don't know where managers, all, all I see with managers at this point, I would love one because I see their benefit um, when you're trying to break into things or when you just don't want to deal with it anymore or when big money gets involved. But uh I don't know, you know, if somebody came to me and wanted to work with me, I'd I'd definitely think about it. But 
the more I can do uh, by myself with favors, you know. I'll cut you in for a favor. I'd rather cut you in for a favor than sign on long term, you know, long term, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because when you sign in long term, then you're just stuck. You you get into a situation where you want a certain opening band, but your manager owes somebody else a favor or he's looking out for you later down the line. So then, therefore, the band that you want to open for you who should get the shot doesn't get the shot because it's not a good managerial decision. Sure. Well, I was telling you this before. I don't know if I've said it in the podcast, but managers, publicists, and booking agents don't answer their emails on weekends <laughs> for under yeah. for under 5000 bucks. Yeah. So that's a fact. You can quote me on that. Quoted. And we I scare you. a lot of managers, obviously. I'm... Yeah, frighteningly, You're selling sunglasses. I'm frightening, frighteningly independent, so it, I think it scares a lot of people off. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure that independence that's not what people want to deal with, or they don't want to manage that. Um, in your world, you know, you mentioned Mark, but I, I'm assuming that you kind of run into a lot of people in your in a similar situations where just kind of doing everything yourselves. Yeah, yeah. There's very talented. I mean, I've lived in Nashville, Tennessee, for a year and a half, and there are tons of talented people down there who do everything themselves and have great careers um, and and aren't trying to get on a big label and yeah. aren't trying to co-write, you know, a song with Emmy Lou Harris's dog's babysitter, <laughs> you know, who's got a lot of buzz around her. It's <laughs> it's a silly business, man. Yeah. It's a silly business. So you got to remember who your friends are. So what are you up to now? Um, I'm hanging out, playing shows, uh, trying to book some shows here in New York, trying to book as many appearances as I can here in New York. I'd love to play, you know, I would love to play six nights a week in New York if, uh, even if it was for like 30 bucks a night, 50 bucks a night, because, um, you can do that in New York city. It's one of the only places in the world you can do it and nobody cares. And, uh, $30 and $50 gigs add up when you can take the subway everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, for you, who, I mean, you've played all over the world, right? Yeah, yeah. You've lived in Nashville. You're based in Minnesota. Yep. Lived uh, in Oakland, California for a little bit. Yeah. Is there something, does New York stand out to you as kind of I love New York. The place? I used to hate New York yeah. so much, man. So much. I mean, it used, me being from northern Minnesota, I used to just think it was insane. But then I uh, I fell in love with it on repeated trips. And uh, maybe about six months ago, five, six months ago, when I seriously started thinking about spending a lot of time out here in 2015, um, I was walking in Bushwick. And there were people everywhere. I think it was on Flushing. And there were people everywhere. And for that moment in time, I realized that nobody was paying attention to anybody else. And so in my mind, I started to think of New York as a giant concrete forest, right? Yeah. And all the people as trees. And so if you walk through New York and you think of all the people as trees, you have a concrete forest full of trees. You have wildlife. You have pigeons and rats <laughs> yeah. and cats and insects, yeah. you know, that are all 
helping the concrete forest exist. Um, you have these magical trees that drive by in these machines and pick up the garbage eventually. And sometimes they pick it up while you're sleeping and you don't even know. And so then it just, as you unlock the giant forest of New York City, the concrete, you know, the concrete Amazon that is New York City and understand that it, there are trees and wildlife and movement and water, which is weird. Right, yeah. Um, in it. Uh, and actual trees. Somewhere. Yeah, and actual trees <laughs> yeah. as well, too. Yeah, but it, it really becomes a strangely calming, strangely calming effect. Uh, this this calm washes over you, uh, and all of a sudden you feel like you're in the middle of the northern woods, and you're just on your own. And something about that to me, maybe it's because I'm an actual wolf, but something about that to me, it just makes it extremely calming and relaxing. So yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to 2015 in New York City. That's, that's a pretty sure. serene picture. Or yeah. perspective of New York. Well, it helps people. It, it's a. I don't think of it as a coping mechanism either. It's it's a it's a reality. Like everybody is so consumed with time, and uh, New York has this ever fluctuating time schedule. Um, it's it it is. Everybody goes to sleep in this town. It's just a question of when, and so nobody's sleep takes priority over anybody else's sleep. And and that feeling of complete and utter like chaos is calm it's calming it's almost like subatomic sounds like you could write a song in that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that'd be way too arty though yeah. you know that'd be way too arty well you know and i know we're running out of time i mean we could talk for a couple hours but uh you had mentioned twitter and um i've noticed yesterday or recently you were tweeting out lyrics yeah yeah um, you know is that something that you find Obviously, you're cool with it because you were doing it, but does that help you write songs, like kind of putting it out there and seeing what people respond to or um, or anything like that? Or is it more just uh, trying to get your name out? Yeah, well, there's two, you know, there's two really good movies that talk about this. There's two good documentary films. One is called, uh, I think it's called I Am Comic or Stand Up Comic or something like that. It's about comics and the road musician. Comics going on the road. Stand-up comedians going on the road. Another good one is about Ricky J. It's Ricky J's. He's a magician. It's called like Ricky J. The Art of Deception. So, All right. And that and that talks. It talks kind of. It touches on kind of what you're um, what you're talking about. It it it's like. Do you get inspiration from hearing yourself talk do you get inspiration from other people do you get inspiration from your environment i think it's a little bit of everything and it's the way that your brain uh as an artist interprets that information and processes it uh, i don't necessarily get uh, ideas from tweeting out my past lyrics on twitter yeah. i just was looking at a norm mcdonald thing and the way that he activates and engages his audience on twitter and I was looking at Kanye and the way that he activates his engages with his audience yeah. in these long streams of information. And so I said, wow, you know, I've never really printed out my lyrics for anybody. So I'm just going to I'm just going to be creative and put out these long streams of information for people. And they can take little bits of it. Like one guy took it and favored it, favorited it as such. Um, as it reformed the song, he took the verses and mixed them up. Oh wow! And so when it printed out, it printed out like as mixed up verses. It still yeah. made sense, 
But like that, it's just, you just put it out there, man. That's the cool thing about Twitter, the cool thing about social media and the internet. You just put it out there and people will consume it um, because yeah. ultimately we are all just consumers. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, it's another way to engage your fans and, and it's find a, them, find yeah. new fans. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And find new fans that not, aren't necessarily in, you know, find somebody who's a hip hop blogger who likes your lyrics and wants to just talk about lyrics. Yeah. Because it's all true. just lyrics, you know. Right. It's, it's all just lyrics and phrasing. So. And then what, I mean, what yeah. you do, I think so well is you put, your actual wolf music to it and i know that you're gonna play a song for us um i will but uh before that how can fans stay in touch with you how can they learn more about you how can they buy your new sunglasses thank you (laughs) you're welcome um all right uh here goes this is uh this is the information stream coming at you uh you can get a hold of me uh through twitter at actual wolf um, Instagram is at actual wolf music, all lowercase, uh, www.actualwolf.com and Facebook for show, um, show info and updates and, uh, Bandcamp on Bandcamp currently actualwolf.bandcamp.com. I am giving away my first two EPs for free is Actual Wolf USA, which is an acoustic EP, and Actual Wolf Lightning in the Wolf, which is a full band EP. Um, giving those away for free, and you can also uh, hit the merch store at Bandcamp and link to my actual shades, which are my sunglasses that I'm selling. and uh, Or you can just come out to a show. And, and talk to me and engage me that way or engage me over Twitter. I am I, I love to be in real time. So awesome. I love to interact with people in real time, even if it's completely useless and unnecessary. <laughs> if you just want to tell me what kind of coffee you're drinking for the day, I will probably respond. Awesome. Now, uh, before you pick up your guitar, what song are you going to play? Wow. Um, I, think, I think I'll probably play... I, Oh man, this is a tough one because I want to play a new one. Um, so I think I'll probably play this song, uh, "Faded Days," which is a is a brand brand new one um, that I'm recording for my upcoming record that's coming out in the fall. Cool. I do have a record coming out in April though, as well, a cassette. Oh, right on! Exclusively cassette. Ex- exclusively nice. cassette. Yeah, we're coming it out. It's just limited release cassette. Um, and that's coming out in April, but the song that I'll probably play is the single off the record that's coming out in the fall. I'm trying to put out two records this year. Awesome. Good for you, man. See if it happens. All right. Actual Wolf, thank you so much for your time, man. Thanks for the coffee (laughs) and, uh, sorry for getting long winded. I appreciate it. One, two, three, four.
Why don't you play all night Just enough to get Still get high Can you come to my place Baby we can't This is Mandatory Music. Every week we rifle through the loads of new music that piles up on our desks and we pick out the top five tracks and we dub it Mandatory Music, which basically means listen to these songs. While I'll only play a snippet of each, you can check out the tracks in full at Diffuser.fm. 
First up is Built to Spill. They're gearing up for their first full-length release since 2009, and they've unveiled the brand new track, Living Zoo. This is the same old Built to Spill we all know and love. Next up is Best Coast, who have recently announced their new album, California Nights. And along with that announcement, they share the title track, which might sound a little bit different than the Best Coast you're used to, but uh, we still think it's worth your time. Master lyricist Simon Joyner's upcoming LP, Grass, Branch, and Bone, is the 13th of his career, and we already love what we're hearing with Nostalgia Blues. See, you still haven't quit smoking. Is that really all that you can think to say? I remember your bed, she'd smudged with ashes and burned. Canadian singer-songwriter Patrick Watson has premiered the title track from his upcoming album, Love Songs for Robots, which is set for release on May 12th. Breaking down, your days getting longer, there's a yellow glass dragon chasing around. Sit your head on a silver jet stream on the smoke is rising over your thoughts. And wrapping up this edition of Mandatory Music is Chicago's Riley Walker. Nick Drake, Tim Buckley, they all come to mind when we listen to Sweet Satisfaction. It starts out eh, sort of Americana, but it quickly delves into a psychedelic epic. I can be your love, I can be your satisfaction, baby. I can be your time. Built to Spill appears courtesy of Warner Brothers Records, Best Coast courtesy of Harvest Records, Simon Joyner, courtesy of Woodsist, Patrick Watson, courtesy of Secret City Records and Domino Recording, and Riley Walker is here via Dead Oceans. And that does it for Mandatory Music. Make sure to listen to all of those songs in their entirety at Diffuser.fm. And guys, that does it for this initial, this inaugural, this first ever podcast we're calling Diffuser Radio. Thank you so much for downloading it. Thank you so much for listening. A special thank you to our columnists and, of course, Actual Wolf for coming to New York City from Minnesota, for chatting with us, and for playing us a song. My name's Chuck Armstrong. Until next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Diffuser Radio. Make sure you stay up to date with everything happening in the world of alternative and indie rock at diffuser.fm. Until next time, don't follow the leaders. Watch the parking meters. Come on.